0: I would like to welcome Professor Hope Rugo, Director of Breast Oncology and Clinical Trials Education at the University of California, San Francisco. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you
1: for including me.
0: At this year's San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, you were speaker and co-author of uh, several presentations. First, I would like to ask you about uh, triple negative early breast cancer. Where is the role of uh, immunotherapy in early triple negative breast cancer? What is the benefit it can uh, provide uh, in the neoadjuvant and post neoadjuvant setting on the basis of the current scientific evidence?
1: Well, it's a very exciting area, actually. I think we've learned a huge amount from the neoadjuvant to adjuvant trials uh, for uh, t- treating triple negative breast cancer. I think the uh, immunotherapy trials in particular have been uh, really remarkably important in helping us understand biologic differences and criteria for response. So uh, we, there have been two neoadjuvant trials that focused on immunotherapy that have provided us, I think, with important information. There are other trials, of course, with immunotherapy, uh, and those are important as stepping stones to where we are now. Uh, the first trial was, in fact, our trial, the multicenter I-SPY-2 trial that looked at just adding just four doses of pembrolizumab to a standard taxane uh, anthracycline-based uh, backbone neoadjuvant chemotherapy for both triple negative disease and high-risk Uh, Hormone receptor positive disease by mammoprint. And what we showed was that we increased the pathologic complete response rate and that patients who had a PCR had a very good outcome. Now, this is a state, you know, a phase two. Adaptively randomized trials, so small numbers, uh, and then uh, Merck actually conducted a trial looking at different combinations and settled on adding carboplatin to our backbone, but continuing pembrolizumab through the anthracycline cyclophosphamide and continuing it to complete a year. I think the the question about why we continued it to complete a year is a is a really I think just the idea that maybe more is better and that you could impact late recurrence or um, Potentially uh, cryptic metastases by continuing the immunotherapy for a longer period of time. But I have to say that's not been proven in any way. But that was the trial design. Another trial was also designed with the Tesalizumab. But what's interesting also to think about in this is trial design itself. So, you know, you could do a neoadjuvant trial and show proof of principle better PCR. But then you haven't shown event-free survival. And the gold standard is showing an improvement in event-free survival, not just pathologic complete response, where there has been a lot of controversy with the US FDA and using PCR alone for approval. Uh, yes, for a while, less so now. So then how do you design your trial? Well, I think the impassioned trial that looked at atezolizumab was a older-style trial where you randomized patients with the primary endpoint of PCR, and that's what you power on. And in fact, adding a tesalismab to a taxane anthracycline backbone improved PCR. Keynote 522 used the newer approach, which I think is really the model for all these trials going forward. And in fact, there is a large tesalismab trial that has completed accrual that used this approach. So you actually power your trial. First, for PCR in the first group of patients that you randomize, because you don't need as many, a few hundred. Then you power with the overall trial population on event free survival, and then you get distant recurrence free survival, which is essentially going to translate into overall survival in the triple negative population. So, uh, Keynote 522 uh, used that approach, uh, randomizing almost 1,200 patients with stage two or three triple negative breast cancer. And outside of the benefits of pembrolizumab, what we learned, uh, I think more definitively than we'd seen before, is several things. One, that uh, stage was very closely correlated with the chance of PCR, which then correlated very tightly, which we've seen before, and they confirmed, with event-free survival. So patients who had stage 2A disease, node negative tumors greater than two centimeters, had the highest PCR rates, whereas patients with more advanced stage three disease had the lowest PCR rates. And this is actually really interesting data because it shows us that there is something intrinsic with the burden of disease at diagnosis, which is closely correlated with the host immune response. And what we've seen is that as you have more burden of disease, you downregulate both tumor infiltrating lymphocytes and pdl one uh, expression on the, in the tumor microenvironment, both very important for response. So then with giving these in both trials, with the Tezo and with PEMBRO, we learned that the benefit of the checkpoint inhibitor on PCR was independent of PDL1 status, but that PDL1 status in the trials correlated with a higher chance of PCR in both arms. So PDL1 correlates, as do tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, with a higher chance of pathologic complete response rate, but it didn't predict your benefit from the checkpoint inhibitor. So pembrolizumab increased the pathologic complete response rate more more notably, more significantly, and I think more clinically importantly, in patients who had node-positive disease or larger tumors, whereas in the smaller tumors, the benefit was more modest. However, and I think this is so interesting, event-free survival was improved regardless of whether The stage of disease. So for all patients, adding pembrolizumab improved event-free survival and distant recurrence-free survival. Went along with that. If you had a pathologic complete response, you had a great outcome. You know, there's still recurrences. It's in the 92, 93 percent event-free survival rate. Uh, But if you uh, didn't have a PCR, getting pembrolizumab correlated with a much better event-free survival. So really interesting. We haven't seen that before either. I think it's you know, sort of trastuzumab like, and it's in a way. Um, and this immune effect uh, is uh, sort of goes around many of the indicators we've commonly used. So we have to be thinking about it in a new way. And then, you know, the the event-free survival correlated very closely with an improvement in distant recurrence-free survival, and led to really global approval of pembrolizumab as neoadjuvant and post-neoadjuvant therapy. In terms of toxicities, the to- immune toxicities are much greater in the neoadjuvant versus the adjuvant setting. So there's the combination enhances the immune response much more than uh, the uh, single agent. And if you've managed to get through your surgery without an immune response, uh, without immune toxicity, you still have a risk of immune toxicity, but it's lower. So in our hands, actually, what we've seen is that there are patients who get late immune toxicities. Uh, The rate is lower than during the chemotherapy, but it's so important for all of us and investigators to be aware of this and to identify late adrenal insufficiency, which can be very hard to diagnose. And then we've seen kind of odd things like eosinophilic uh, GI involvement, eosinophilic gastritis, esophagitis, things we don't really think about so much in oncology, except for within this immune activating world. Uh, Now, the big questions are, does everybody need a year of PEMBRO if you have a PCR, should you or not? And the optimized PCR trial within our cooperative group, the Alliance, uh, will evaluate uh, either stopping at uh, surgery if you have a PCR or finishing a year, and then what to do with the patients who don't have a PCR where outcome is improved with PEMBRO, but there's still a high recurrence rate. Uh, So in those patients, there will be a number of different approaches. But one approach that will occur within the Alliance Foundation is to look at adding the antibody drug conjugate sasetizumab govotecan uh, in one arm uh, to pembrolizumab and then standard of care with pembro, say capecitabine in the other arm. There also will be a trial looking at the antibody drug conjugate datopodumab durextacan in that setting as well. So I think we've learned a huge amount. Uh, for patients with at least stage two triple negative early stage breast cancer, adding pembrolizumab is now the standard of care, along with ataxane carboplatin, followed by anthracycline cyclophosphamide backbone. The other part of this, there are two other parts which I think are important, is is there a group of patients who have stage one T1C tumors that could still benefit Uh, We don't know that, and we don't have information to really inform us as yet, so that will be an interesting question uh, moving forward in the chemotherapy-resistant population. Um, there's actually three questions. The second one is what about the rare subtypes of TNBC? If you have metaplastic cancer, which is a horrible subtype that very poorly responsive, is this the right treatment? A lot of metaplastic cancers are very mixed. You know, you have squamous chondroid differentiation, like, and then you have a standard invasive ductal cancer in there too. So understanding that group is going to be of critical importance. And then what about the apocrine-like triple negative cancers that? seem to have a good prognosis or adenoid cystic. Should we base our key 67 that's low? Do they need PEMBRO? Do they benefit from PEMBRO with a low key 67? And Then I think that uh, the one question that was answered most definitively at uh, San Antonio this year was a really interesting Indian trial uh, done out of Tata Memorial Hospital and presented by uh, Gupta that looked at adding carboplatin, and it's a very large trial with over 700 patients. Uh, With a backbone we already have accepted from Keynote 522 as standard, but didn't have robust data. Some, the best data most recently was from the brightness trial, but this trial really defined it. So patients were randomized to get a standard paclitaxel followed by anthracycline, cyclophosphamide backbone with or without weekly carboplatin added to the paclitaxel. And the addition of paclitaxel, uh, carboplatin to paclitaxel increased the PCR rate and increased disease-free survival uh, significantly. Interestingly, they also found that if you were pre-menopausal, That's where all the benefit was and not so much in postmenopausal women, something we haven't seen before in this setting. And I think it may correlate with differing biologic subtypes of triple negative breast cancer in the Asian population, the East Asian population, uh, where postmenopausal women are more likely to have luminal B type disease and uh, less uh, proliferative triple negative cancers and don't benefit as much from variations in chemo. Now, the addition of carboplatin adds toxicity, we have to learn how to manage it uh, very carefully. And I think that a lot of attention should be paid to that because for patients with poorly responsive disease, this is very important. So the last thing I think is that, you know now we have this great treatment, does everybody need it? And even in the preoperative settings, could we look at patients who've gotten 12 cycles of paclitaxel, carbo, and pembro, and if by imaging there's no cancer left, do they still need AC? And that's a big question to ask whether or not we can optimize therapy by both reducing and increasing the intensity of therapy based on response to treatment. And a number of different trials, including ICE by 2.2 are trying to address this. We're looking at adding antibody drug conjugates to the neoadjuvant setting with checkpoint inhibitors, TDXD, DatoDxd, dxd sasetizumab, these remarkable agents that deliver chemotherapy so effectively uh, and with uh, what appears to be more modest toxicity that we can manage um, are a f- really fascinating and may completely change the way we treat patients in the neoadjuvant setting as well.
0: Uh, Where do you think uh, the advantages of immunotherapy come from—the neo-adjuvant setting only, or or from the full setting?
1: Both. So I think that in patients who get a PCR, the added benefit of pembrolizumab after surgery is a question. uh, You know, is it important to have an ongoing watchdog? You know, where you keep the immune system heightened against the tumor? We'll find out by the uh, randomized trial that will investigate that. But I, it's. To me, I think that continuing the Pembro after surgery for patients who don't get a PCR may be very important. Um, I think that you, uh, that that continued activation of the immune system may be really important for patients who have residual disease and more resistant cancers. You know, where how we didn't look at that, you know, randomizing to yes or no. So I think that that's going to be an important question. But I don't think we're going to see a trial randomizing to adjuvant Pembro or not in patients with residual disease because it's just too high a risk for patients who have a short time to metastatic disease and a short survival in the metastatic setting. Interestingly, there was a large adjuvant trial planned um, around the same time as the neo adjuvant atezolizumab trial. And that trial, another one of the impassioned trials um, had been accruing, but was just closed to accrual really because we're discouraging uh, people from treating in the adjuvant setting. We want people to start treatment in the neoadjuvant setting. I think that that's the, the best, clearly the best approach for these cancers. Uh, so they've actually accrued quite a number of patients. So it will be interesting to see what their data is, but they did close it because I mean, Really, we don't want to encourage patients to go to surgery with locally advanced triple negative cancers. Any cancer that's at least a T1C, even if node negative, we start with neoadjuvant therapy unless it's one of these extremely indolent, rare subtypes in older women.
0: And uh, in the adjuvant setting, uh, what would you prefer, uh, pembrolizumab or uh, capcitabine? or may the co-administration of these two be reasonable?
1: Yes, I mean, I think that we've seen this remarkable improvement in outcome with pembrolizumab. The improvement in capecitabine has only been seen in an Asian population, uh, both in the CREATE-X uh, Japanese and Korean trial and in the Chinese Shanghai-based trial that looked at metronomic capecitabine in the adjuvant setting. Uh, poorly, a schedule, poorly tolerated by our more European-based population, but even our own Asian population tolerate metronomic continued Cape reasonably poorly. Um, I think that there's a lot of questions here which haven't been completely answered and weren't uh, looked at in detail in CreateX or the metronomic study, which is whether or not Uh, biologic variations across uh, racial groups and ethnic groups uh, make a difference in the value of post-neoadjuvant capecitabine. In a study done by ECOG published by Ingrid Mayer, uh, they looked at whether or not it would be better to give post-neoadjuvant capecitabine or a platinum of physician choice, and the platinum resulted in much more toxicity, so cape won out, but the uh, drugs had equal efficacy, essentially. The striking thing about that study was that at 30 months, in patients with basal-like, all basal-like, triple negative breast cancer, they did intrinsic subtyping. The event-free survival was in the under 50% range. So capecitabine wasn't making a huge impact in these patients. And so I think that you know, we would prefer Pembro first, And but because we know that it's safe to add capecitabine and perhaps... For all we know, capecitabine would be even better in the presence of PEMBRO because patients in the metastatic setting who respond to checkpoint inhibitors clearly live longer. And it may be that subsequent chemo works better because you've changed the immune microenvironment. So I think in this situation, I'm a strong proponent of giving PEMBRO and adding in capecitabine, so the third option you provided at the addition. One question comes up in patients who have germline BRCA mutations uh, with residual disease. And in that setting, I think, you know, although we're not gonna have head-to-head comparisons, the data from uh, the Olympia trial with Olaparib is quite striking. And you know, you're really targeting a specific uh, abnormality in the tumor itself and, of course, in the patient. Um, So we would favor their Olaparib uh, and uh, continued Pembrolizumab because we also know that that's safe. Uh, So that's what we would do for a patient with a BRCA mutation and use platinum for the other larger group of patients. And that's where we really need to explore new options.
0: What do you think about uh, the importance of immune-related adverse events in this early setting? Is your way of thinking uh, different than in the metastatic setting?
1: I mean, there are much less. It's such an important area that we don't understand as well as we need to. There are more uh, immune-related adverse events in the neoadjuvant-adjuvant setting than there are in the metastatic setting. And that goes along with something I talked about earlier. The more cancer you have, the lower pdl1 expression is and the lower the less tumor infiltrating lymphocytes you have and this uh, also exists as you go from early to metastatic stage and as your metastatic tumor progresses which is why it's so important to use the checkpoint inhibitors in the first line metastatic setting when you have a uh, uh, pdl1 positive disease uh, based on the keynote 355 trial and of course earlier data from impassion 130 but You know, in looking at uh, patient reported outcomes that was presented at ESMO by Rebecca Dent uh, from Singapore, uh, basically there is, you know, a little bit more in terms of the toxicity and impact on quality of life um, earlier in the course of treatment. But once you get into the adjuvant phase, there's no difference in terms of the quality of life in patients who are on pembrolizumab uh, versus placebo. I think you know there's some impact by coming in to get an intravenous infusion every three to six weeks, uh, but that impact is relatively modest. Um, and if you look overall, uh, the uh, quality of life impact is primarily in the neoadjuvant setting. Uh, And that goes along with everything. You know, the chemo in all other disease, solid tumors, uh, we can see that when we give chemo with immunotherapy, the reason why it works well is because you enhance the immune response. So that's where you're going to see more immune toxicity. Uh, But I will say, again, in I Spy, uh, I'm the safety officer for, for with uh, Rita Nanda for the overall national trial, which is a multi-center, high accruing phase two trial with a lot of novel agents. And what we've seen is that we do see these late events. They're just not common, uh, but they're quite striking and incredibly important to recognize.